And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show presented by Sling. We are back. I survived Las Vegas. I am home. Ari made it a while back and left left me there in his town. And uh, I wasn't as equipped for it as you are, Ari. Uh, I'm, I'm washed, I think. I think, I think I'm... Oh. It's not who I used to be. I loved it. I love it, and I was sad to leave. But um, a week in Las Vegas is a long time. So you, you, if you uh, made it through unscathed, then you're more battle tested than you think you are. I'm feeling pretty good now. I, I was very well behaved. I did not don't believe I placed a single bet, despite many winning walks through the casino. And I did open the gym every morning at six a.m. So feel feel good about that. Yeah, that wasn't quite my experience, but we all have, we all enjoy Vegas our own way. That's what makes it a great, a great city, you know. It uh, exactly, uh, you know, it could be whatever you want it to be. So before we get into the news of the weekend, and there, there's a lot that there's a piece of news that came down on Sunday that it's it, not not fun to talk about. Uh, Mike Leach, Mississippi State coach, is in the hospital, and don't know much more than that, other than it's a it's a personal health crisis. Uh, Zach Arnett has been placed in charge of the Mississippi State program for now. And we'll we'll see what happens, but uh, we're you know prayers go out to to Coach Leach and, and his wife Sharon, and uh, hope hope everything's going to be okay. And we'll we'll just see what happens. We'll keep you posted on that as as far as we know. But uh, that was a not great news that that came out on Sunday. Yeah, it's terrible. You just you know, hope hope for the best for everybody uh, in that community and and Coach Leach and his family. Yep. So we'll we'll see what happens. Other not great news on Sunday. It was probably going to happen. You you kind of sense even, I mean, maybe go back to the 2020 season that, that this was ultimately going to happen. But Ken Niamatololo fired at Navy, Ari. And, mm-hmm. and that's, it's one of those things. Is I, they're not, you know, a national title contending program or anything like that. But this is the, the winningest coach in program history. And I know I, I saw a lot of people saying, well, he's the winningest coach. You don't do that to a guy like that. It's like, no, it's, it feels like it had kind of run its course. And I, I think Coach Ken would probably agree with that. It's just he's done he'd done such a great job. And it's it's tough to see it in this way. You you would have wanted to see him be able to go out on his own terms and just retire and you know retire after an Army Navy win, but that's just not how it's gonna happen. Yeah, you know, the thing that's interesting about the the military academies is you know, when you think about what's actually at stake for a lot of the young men who are on those teams and what they're signing up to do in their yeah. lives. Like college football seems like kind of small potatoes. You know, I think in the pregame video, what stood out to me is that everybody uh, who's on that field playing would would die for the people watching it. Like I thought that was like super moving and it kind of brings it in perspective of of who these people are. Um, That said, I'm not necessarily sure uh, what the standard is there. You know what I mean in terms of what's expected. Obviously, both sides want to win this game. It's it's a tradition in college football, like none another. Um, but when you have a coach who has been there for as many years as he's been there, fifteen seasons, right? Yeah, hundred hundred nine yeah. wins. I mean, that's he replaced a, that's, Paul Johnson when Paul Johnson went to I, Georgia Tech. I mean, like he has been the face of Navy football for 
almost as long as I've been following the sport, you know? So I just, when this happens, a, what's the reaction to this? Yeah. Um, and B, who do you need to find, um, in order to, you know, fill those big shoes and then see what is success at Navy. Right. And that's what Stephen Larkin in the chat asked. Are we sure Navy realizes how hard a job that is? I, I will say this is not dissimilar to when Army made its change and, and went and got Jeff Munkin. And Jeff Munkin changed that program dramatically. And that was what they needed. Because remember, Navy was dominating that series. Army was not winning a ton of games under any circumstances. And then Army all of a sudden became a very good football team and and became the the better team in this rivalry as well. So I, I do think it's possible to find that person. And it's possible that, you know, sometimes sometimes you need a new voice. Sometimes that's that's the only way to do it. Remember, Navy had won, Navy won every year from 2002 to 2015. And then Munkin finally broke through and they won every game from 16 to 18 and then one again in 21 again yesterday. So yep. it is possible to find that right person. Yeah. And Mitch, my, my editor and my co-host and stars matter once put me up to a story that I haven't gotten around to doing yet, but I have to do of what does recruiting look like when you're the head coach of a, oh. of a, uh, it's it's very hard. service academy. I, I yeah. don't even know like where you be like, what's the first step? Well, you look at the grades. <laughs> Honestly, that's the first step. You find you find out who is a good football player with with good grades. But what do you do? Do you just like go and find football players first and then pitch the military to them? Yes. Well, I actually the first coach who ever pulled me out of class at school was a guy named Cal McCombs. And he was an assistant at the Air Force Academy. And he explained the whole thing to me because I was what I was right up their their alley in terms of what they're looking for. I was because you have I a big a, brain. No, I was a too small offensive lineman. I had decent grades. I also, my biological father was in the army. And so if you have a parent who served in the military, then it's easier to get you in. I think it's, I believe it's called a presidential nomination. Uh, it's easier to get you into the, into the academy because if you, if you're not, you have to go through your, your actual congressperson. Like the, your U.S. congressperson has to nominate you to serve at the academy. All right, so, so I'm I'm 16, 17 year old Andy Staples, and I have Mountain Dew, and I'm in my biology class. I get pulled out. Yeah, this is the first coach I'm about to meet. I want you to pitch to me how it went for you. I was freaking out because I was and I was ready to go. I was ready to go to the Air Force Academy. This dude had me go. I, I'd never been pitched before like this. And I was ready to sign up. I don't, I don't know if I could have pointed out Colorado Springs on a map, but I was ready to roll. They played Hawaii at Hawaii every other year. That sounded kind of awesome. Was that awesome. part of the pitch? Yeah. Oh, yeah. If, uh, <laughs> if you need a ride home, you just hop a transport. <laughs> like, you can, you can do that. So was, was the pitch about all the military obligations that you would have to fulfill after, or was it all they, about like, no, they mentioned the cool that they, they okay. certainly don't shy away from that. They tell okay. you this, this is how many years you're going to have to serve. Uh, no, they, they also point out you're going in as an officer and it's, it's a different experience. So there, there was that, but I, I got home and I was talking to my parents about it. And my stepdad was just laughing and he's like, did you, did he tell you you could be a fighter pilot? I'm like, no, he didn't tell me, but that's, you know, that's obviously what I want to do. If I went to the air force Academy, he's like, 
You know you're too big to fit in one of those planes. Yeah, you're like six foot one, aren't you? I'm six three. So, <laughs> I was trying to knock yeah. you down a peg there. Yeah, <laughs> no. But so he's like, yeah, you know you're you're to quote him, my stepdad exactly. Your big ass isn't fitting in one of those cockpits. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was, that, is, uh, that, that was the end of that. It's just like when you were a college football recruit, you're thinking about the NFL because you're a kid, you dream. I, I never thought about the NFL, though, because I didn't I, I couldn't believe anybody was recruiting me in the first place. Like I was in a little different boat. Like so uh, Scott Bryan was a guy I played with at, in high school. He was I was the right tackle. He was the left tackle. Scott was the kind of recruit you would have written about. Like he had, I want to say, 75 offers he ended up signing with Florida. That was the kind of recruitment you're thinking of. Like I was stunned anybody was even considering me to play college football. Yeah, no, I know. And I understand that everybody's uh, recruitments aren't quite the front page of the athletic recruitments. But, you know, every kid dreams about going to a place and being good and, um, you know, all the things like that. And, like, I would just have a hard time thinking, like, I'm thinking about football and girls and college uh, experience and frats and all the things that – and then it's just like, okay, well, you have to – also join the military after. Well, and, like, and I, I was, that was a serious consideration for me. Like I knew if I ever wanted to really think about that, that I would have to come to terms with, okay, do I want to serve in the military? If I do, which branch do I want to serve in and, and decide can you on switch that. the branch? No. I mean, I would have to decide I, oh. if I, if I really wanted to be in the army, I would have had to go call the West Point coaches and be like, listen, air force is recruiting me, but I really, really want to be at West. Yeah, Point. My cousin, so, um, went to the U S Naval Academy and she has a pretty cool life. It seems like she lives in San Diego and uh, you know, one of the uh, bases down there and, and all that stuff. But like, I also kind of had like a secondary view of all the stuff that she had to go through to kind of get to this point where she, you know, once you get through the basic training and all the oh, stations and all the stuff that you got, those, it's a, it's a special type of the, person, the elite of the elite. To, that they go to those schools and they get through those schools. They are the elite of the elite. And but like also recruiting for that is really, really hard. I bet recruiting for recruiting for the regular students there is hard enough, much less the ones that yeah. that are going to play a sport there. And the fact uh, that they play football like with Notre Dame and are actually right. like competitive and are competitive. Like, yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. And they're pretty tough and they go through a lot. Uh, Trip Tepper in the chat, the Holy Cross head coaches who Navy should hire Bob Chesney. That is a very good call, Trip. That is a very, very good idea. Trip also wants to know what my na- my ideal call sign would be if I actually did become a fighter pilot. I think it has to be whole hog. That would absolutely be my call sign, whole hog. What do you think mine would be? Uh, food court. <laughs> I thought it'd be grab ass, but you know, hey, grab what? ass would be even better. <laughs> I don't uh, think I don't know about the don't how, the don't ask don't tell of all that Ari. So yeah, I, I don't know yeah, how that that's works. true. Okay. <laughs> so, well, yeah. Well, that that's uh, I'm very excited to see how that all pans out because it's just an interesting aspect of it. And it kind of might whoever Navy hires light a fire under my ass to go out and actually do that story because I think it'd be an interesting one. Well, I just I, I do want to see an, an Army Navy game. That I regret that in my career. That's a that's a bucket list thing I've never gotten to do. There were years I had to cover the Heisman, so I was in New York, but but I was in New York, so I couldn't get down to Philly to do that. And I, I just think that that's one of those I, I I'm going to regret if I don't get to one of those at some point. So I, I'm doing that one of these years. Yeah, I'll call with you. Uh, I love it. I, we we do a whole week. We do a whole week of podcasts. It'd be tremendous. Yeah. Also, like it's in the Northeast every year, right? So, uh, 
you know, there's you gotta take me to the clam shacks and stuff. You know, well, we just do cheesecakes and or uh, cheese steaks. Cheese and, and oh yeah, I there's there's a lot going on. We we could have some fun with that, but because I like I actually really like the food like in the the Maryland. Oh. You know, Absolutely. Northeast. And well, I know it, it, var- it varies a lot from Maryland to Philadelphia to New York to Boston, but like that stuff's all good. Oh, yeah. Well, a lot of, lot of stuff there. And, and then, uh, Landis and I ate dinner in Annapolis one year because Ohio mm-hmm. State played Navy. I think it was their opening game um, in 2014, the year they won the national title, in our first game working together. Um, and I remember having a few good meals out there, and the crab chips are excellent. I say the, the crab cakes down in Maryland, and you work your way up to the lobster rolls in, in New England. And crab cakes and football, that's what Maryland does. <laughs> and Old Bay. Gotta love Old Bay seasoning. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, Timothy Heffernan asks, uh, Troy Taylor at Stanford, that's a, that is a job that got filled. Guy who understands the rivalry because he played in, on the other side. Guy who understands the league because he was re- recently the, the OC at Utah. He was the one who who unlocked Tyler Huntley at Utah. I think that's a good hire by Stanford. I, I, I'm very interested to see what he does. And it's it's crazy because we talk about how long Ken Niamatololo has been at Navy. You know, David Shaw hasn't been the head coach at Stanford this whole time. But since he succeeded Jim Harbaugh, it feels like it, it was basically the same administration from 2007 to now. Yeah, I also know that, like, on one hand, the Stanford job is probably one of the hardest jobs in the power five, just because of the limitations academically. But like, I have it in my brain and I'm waiting for somebody to explain to me why I'm wrong. Um, that actually being the head coach at Stanford would be a, a leg up. Like I actually believe that Stanford could be in the top 20% of college oh, football programs. Oh, I, I, I agree. And I, you, you talk to a lot of recruits. So I, th- I think you understand this better than most. I think players have changed over the last few years and they are smart enough to understand 
that if they have an opportunity to go for Stan- to go to Stanford for free, that that vaults Stanford above a lot of other places, even places that play better football yeah. or that have a better draft history. Because they've one, also been very good in the not right, so distant can, past. So you can get draft you can get drafted from Stanford. You can you can play in the NFL if you play at Stanford. Two, if you don't, you have a Stanford degree. And like, there's a lot of very good colleges. And like, I always joke about this with Mitch, but like Michigan's a good school and Northwestern's a good school and Vandy's a good school. Like all these places are like amazing institutions that I would never have gotten into out of high school. But like Stanford, I feel like in the power five is standing on the pedestal by itself. Oh, it's by itself. So if it's it's by itself, don't tell me about how hard it is to get people in the people that you are recruiting are the ones that would get in like that. Like to me, like you could sell football on itself and just be like, you know what? Even if academics is your secondary plan, you're going to make a boatload of money. Um, you know, even if you don't go to the NFL, but, but just so you know, when you come to Stanford, our goal is to get you to the NFL. Like, right. I mean, like it doesn't have to be one or the other. And I feel like right. if you get a coach um, that can understand that and sell it the right way. I feel like that's how they sold it for a long time at Stanford I, the, throughout most of, most of the David Shaw era. And but use me, it, me, you recruit it like it's a football factory and academics are second. Now, that would be crazy, but that's what I would do. Well, I think you could sell both. And let me let me throw this at you, Ari. This is an interesting one that somebody brought up to me last week when we were uh, I was at the uh, Sports Business Journal Intercollegiate Athletics Forum. You know, a lot of a lot of people thinking deeply about the sport. This was something that I I had thought about a little bit. But but this I got to talking with somebody. And so, you know, the antitrust exemption for the Ivy League schools expired that said they don't have to give athletic scholarships and they can't be sued because they don't give athletic scholarships. So now they do. Well, they don't. Or they, they will. They still choose not to. But what if somebody does? And and then, like, I imagine at this point, because for the same reason we were talking about Stanford, I think recruits have changed. I think priorities have changed. I think there are a lot of football players, really good football players out there, that if you told them, you can go to Harvard for free on athletic scholarship. And I do realize there are need-based scholarships that, that would have gotten you to Harvard or Princeton or Yale for free or mostly free, depending on your parents' situation. But if you just lock, stock, and barrel, here's a scholarship four years at Harvard, I bet they could field a pretty nasty football team. I wrote I wrote a story, and I'm trying to find it right now, last year, about a prospect. Yeah, one Southern California prospect is spurning Power 5 offers to play uh, at Harvard and like he had the perfect plan and um, I'm trying to remember what the young man's name was. His name was uh, Cooper Barkate um, and Cooper. Here's his plan because he had power five offers. Right. He was like a really good receiver and he goes and, and he committed to Harvard and I thought that was an interesting story. So I called him up and he said, I know this is going to seem weird to people and you know, that's, that's fine. But I, I'm going to go to Harvard for four years. I'm going to play football there for four years and I'm going to red shirt and I'm going to be a graduate transfer after year four. So I get my Harvard degree. Mm-hmm. And if I'm good enough to play football, then I will play at a power five school my final year. And if I'm not good enough to get a power five scholarship after my four years at Harvard, that means that the right thing to do for me was to focus on my education. And I thought it was a brilliant way of viewing it. Wow. And, and, and understood things very well because the Ivies don't do red shirts. So you get four years to play. And when you're done with that fourth year, 
even if you have an extra year of eligibility, you're done there. And and we saw that there was a guy. I, I, and I we're talking say, about a kid who played at Matter Day. Right. Right. With a bunch of five-star studs that were going to USC and Clemson and all that. And he had offers from Arizona State, Arkansas. Um, I think his grandfather or father played at UCLA. Uh, Oregon offered him. UCLA offered him. Nebraska, Notre Dame. Like, he really, like, this wasn't just like a dude who had non-committable offers. Like, he uh, had a legitimate chance well, to play at some so big-time he, he played. He played in four games this year, which means that's a red shirt. Yeah. Caught 10 passes for 157 yards in those four games. So I imagine he's going to be a pretty big part of their offense next year. Oh, you just looked up his stats? I yeah. lost track. Yeah. So. Yeah. Because he, he finished, you know, he finished number seven on the team in, in receptions despite only playing four games. Yeah. So, you know, he's a really good. I'm assuming that he's probably one of the top receivers in the Ivy League just based on what he was before. But, you know, he understands that the, I think the quote is, seeing the people with a level of status that would reach out um, to her and say congratulations, Harvard alumni and people from the Ivy League, um, talking about his sister who also went to Harvard, really opened up his eyes to a new world um, that he never even knew existed in terms of financial um, financial connections and things like that. So, like, he, this guy's going places regardless of whether it's in football or not because he was raised in a certain way to exploit the system as much as the system exploits them. Oh, he knows he knows what's going on. And and this is a really interesting thing because imagine, again, if Harvard could just show up at at the best – you know, a bunch of top 100 players doors, the, the the top 100 players that they feel like could succeed academically at Harvard. And they could say, you can have a four year scholarship. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> like there's not going to be a lot of no's there. Yeah. Now the thing about that is I don't know how many people would get into Harvard. Cause you like even smart, good students can't get in. Well, so yeah, you have to be I, I an mean, exceptional the top, the top, student. The top 100 of the people who would, and they have a tiered recruiting system where they can take, you know, as many people who would who would have gotten in any way as they want, and then they, there's a sliding scale where they only get so many. But mm-hmm. I do think it would be really interesting to see if you had Harvard and Princeton and Yale and Cornell and Dartmouth and and Brown competing for that. It would be it would well. Be that's fun. when you know the world will start ending when the academic institutions are the ones that are starting to play ball and making it football school first. You know, um, but I I was really moved by his thought process and yeah um, well you know and i i you just like when you talk to certain people you just know that they're going places and, and he's certainly one of them and not just because he's going to harvard just the way he was speaking oh yeah well i mean some people just kind of understand how the world works a little better than than say i don't know 17 year old andy states because I, I actually have like a thought that like 80 percent of the colleges that we all go to like unless you're going to get a law degree or a medical de- or pre-med or whatever that like all of our undergraduate degrees are the same for the most part. And that we all kind of just make the world the best that we can based on our experience, our, our work. I think, I think you're probably, it. and it, it's the reason I didn't, I mean, I got into Princeton, but I would have had to pay for it. I would have had to take on loans. If you, you went into, if you went to Princeton uh, and you wanted to go into this field, do you think that you would be any better off right now than you already are? No, Cause all the, the all the Princeton people, from that era, ended up at Sports Illustrated, and I ended up writing for Sports Illustrated like, too. So. I went to the University of Arizona because it was the school that was in state. Like, if yeah. I would have gone to Michigan or Mizzou or Northwestern and did journalism, would I be on a fast track right now? Would I be making more money right now? I don't know the answer to that question. Is yes. I, I don't kinda, think my life would have been appreciably different, but that's because I knew that's what I wanted to do, and I assumed I would work 
at a newspaper my whole life. And there are certain and fields where it does make a difference. those loans. Exactly. If I'd have wanted to be a corporate lawyer, if I'd want to be an investment banker, if I'd have wanted to be a senator, I think I would have been smarter to do to do that. But because of what I wanted to do, and I actually did that field, no, and knowing what I was making on those first jobs, I'm really glad I did it the way I did. Otherwise, well, let me balance I never the scale of the podcast out here, though, and let everybody know that I did not get into Princeton out of high school. I got an 1100 on the SAT and I was uh, mildly hung over from prom the night before. That's that was my experience. That a boy. And I got into Arizona and I'm rocking ass now. Exactly. Is that, is that, is rocking ass a good thing to say. I, I Whatever. You're not grabbing ass. So that's good. I, well, I'm rocking ass on the ass show. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Let's talk Heisman Trophy. Caleb Williams wins it. Uh, I can now uh, reveal my ballot. Uh, I had Caleb Williams. Number one. Uh, number two. I know there's a lot of controversy over a certain Georgia player being in New York. Number two on my ballot was the most outstanding player in Athens, Georgia, the most outstanding player in Clark County, Georgia, the most outstanding player in the state of Georgia, and one of the most outstanding players in America, and his name's Jalen Carter. That was number two on my ballot. Yep. Number three on my ballot was Max Duggan. You want to hear my ballot? Yeah. I didn't get it this year because I gamble on Anthony Richardson. This is your fault. This is my fault? <laughs> This is my fault. Your show. No, it's my fault. You um, did, did you did I talk you into Anthony Richardson after the Utah game? No, my eyes did. Oh, well, that's not my fault. That's yeah, your fault. No, we were talking about it on the show the night that he went crazy against Utah. And I went and looked at his odds and his odds were like 150 to one. And I like hit it and I didn't realize I, I like wasn't thinking about the voting process, um, but totally fair. And I understand um, but I probably would have put the same three on my list, just in a different order. I think Carter might've been third. I, 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 that's fine. And, and I can understand if you want to do Hendon Hooker, if you want to do CJ Stroud or well, the thing that's, that's tough about the Heisman man. And you know, the thing that also kind of stinks and I don't know if there's any way to avoid it, but I want to go into the Heisman trophy ceremony one year and not know who's winning. Yeah. Like it's so obvious who's going to win. And how, when's the last time you like, like Kyler and Tua, like when Steve Spurrier made that joke last night where he like, and it's the most prestigious award. And everybody was like, Oh, come on, just announce it already. Like imagine that moment when you really don't know who they're going to say. Right. Um, And like the thing that I, I wonder about the Heisman and always have is it seems to be like a group think exercise where everybody starts thinking one way. And then that's what it is. Because, like, Caleb Williams was, I guess, the most exciting player in college football, and I would have voted number one for him, too. But I think there's plenty of arguments for to be made that he wasn't the Heisman winner, and nobody was having him, and it was to the point where it was one of the most lopsided results in history, right? Because well, like, think- winning wasn't a part of it, so there was a lot of tremendous players. I think um, more people more people just caught on to Caleb, and you've seen that with Johnny Manziel. That's what happened in the Kyler Tua year. Now, we didn't quite know who was going to win, Although I think the straw polls had Kyler pretty well ahead by the, the week of the of the ceremony, but that was only that had changed since the week before. But I do think sometimes guys play in bigger games later in the season and they just shine and, and come forward. I mean, I, I there wasn't much doubt in my mind as I was watching Caleb on the field before he popped his hamstring in the in the Pac twelve championship game, who the best player in the country was. Yeah. Like, if I was starting, this well, is did Caleb it. Williams play quarterback better than anybody else in the country played their position? Yes. 
Because he had to be Superman every moment or that defense was going to fail them. But they lost twice. Because the defense failed them. Did no, he I have know, bad games either one of those games? So, uh, Well, the second time, not because of him. But he's yeah, still, he still, still had a, pretty had good a game, great yeah. game despite having one hamstring. Yeah. So, no, and I'm not trying to neg the guy. He won it, and I would have voted for him. I'm just saying, like, wouldn't there be a argument for other people to make it at least kind of questionable going into Saturday, or was it just so clean cut and obvious? It, it was it's obvious like you want to talk to about a, a defense that, like, Drake May played poorly in some of the bigger games down the line, so maybe that's part of it. Right. But it's like Drake May was in the same exact situation, and he had North Carolina in the playoff. Yeah, but you got to score like more than 10. 17 against Georgia Tech. Yeah. No, I know. Like, and that's that, why he wasn't – that's not why. But, like, Hendon Hooker, I thought, did more for his program this year than Caleb Williams did, and then he blew his knee out. I And, like, he I didn't even know, go to New York. I don't know that he did. I think Tennessee's defense was better than USC's defense. So, yeah, like I, I think and they also played better, better teams too. a better, more well-rounded football team than, than USC. So, so it's like, I, is Lincoln Riley a quarterback genius or does yes. he continually have the benefit of the doubt of playing in conferences where guys get open and quarterbacks rack up crazy? No, stats? I think, I think if Lincoln Riley were a head coach in the SEC, that, that his offenses would be great. His quarterbacks would play incredibly and his defenses would stink. Like that is his. It's philosophically how you run your program, how you decide to practice. I, I don't think it matters what conference you're in. We'll, and we'll see when they go to the Big Ten. But it does when it comes to stat accumulation. No, I Hendon Hooker accumulated some pretty big stats in the SEC. I know. And Caleb Williams would and have And those stats are more impressive to me than if, Caleb's. If, if Caleb Williams were in the SEC with Lincoln Riley as his head coach, yeah. he would accumulate the same kind of stats. Yeah. Again, I would have voted for the guy. Just a discussion. I thought it was crazy that Hendon Hooker wasn't there. Oh, I, I did too. But look, they they cut they set the cutoff at four for the TV show. Like, yeah, there's no reason to do that. You could make it five if you wanted to. I mean, obviously, like well, that it wasn't in, even in the top four. He was number five. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. like insane. But it was very close between him and Stetson Bennett at four and five. Like it doesn't matter. Neither of them yeah. had a chance. Like it is funny watching the Caleb other Williams got show. more first place votes than Stetson Bennett got votes. Yeah. No, so, I know. And it's like funny watching them on stage knowing that they have no shot to win. It's not funny. It's, it's not annoying. funny. It's just like it's weird to enjoy the uh, the program and then looking at these guys knowing that they know in their hearts they've got no shot to win. It stinks. We'll be right back after these words. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. So, Kevin Tay with a really interesting question in the chat. The real question is, will Caleb Williams become the first repeat Heisman winner since Archie Griffin? Probably it's never not. going to happen again. Because it's, it'll happen at some point. But, I, I mean, I'm going to vote against it or, or bet against it until if it does. If Tim Tebow didn't do it, then no one's doing it. And Tim Tebow did win the national title the year after, but he didn't put up the numbers. I just think that, that there's Bradford voter did. fatigue. I think, like, Bryce Young... Yeah. Like, well, yeah, I just think that like people Bryce want Young something didn't have new. as good of a year because Bryce Young didn't have the the kind of receivers that he had the year before. Yeah, and and he wouldn't have won it this year, but like even if Bryce Young had a tremendous season and they made the playoff, 
Do you think he would have been voted the same I way? Think there was a really good chance he would have. I been. think that I think voters want to be different and new every year. I just think it's a. I think in order to do it twice, you have to have a better season the second year and do something remarkable than the first year that you won it. And I think that that's increasingly harder to do because you have to be so perfect the first time you win it to begin with. Now, well, like, is Caleb Williams not going to be the best player in college football again next year? Of course he is. But that's Unless a nice Trey segue Vegas into or, the discussion yeah. that you want to have. Well, exactly. Is, is And that's who do, who are we not talking about now who is going to be in the mix this time next year? Our friend Ralph Russo texted this last night, and I answered with Hudson Card. And I was kind of kidding, but kind of not, because Hudson Card is, is one of the most skilled quarterbacks in the transfer portal right now. And I would not be shocked if somebody comes out of the transfer portal and gets in a new spot, and, and they find the perfect place for them, and blow up, and they're awesome. Do you think that, um, so when we do the cutoff of people who weren't considered this year, mm-hmm. is that like we're never a part of the hype, or weren't in the top five? We're never a part of the hype at all. We're so never like Drake May discussed. wouldn't count right now. Oh, Drake May, yeah. Drake May's okay. a guy we talked about all year for it. All right, what about Arch Manning? <laughs> that would be something, because it would mean Quinn Ewers isn't starting at Texas anymore. Well, exactly. You never know. Uh, what a Ohio State quarterback, Devin Brown or Kyle McCord? Because right, just being Ohio State's quarterback, it means you're going to put up a bunch of numbers. Exactly. Kate um, Klubnik. Kate Klubnik. You mentioned one in our chat with Ralph that I thought was a really good one. Donovan Edwards. Yep, he's a stud. And JJ McCarthy. JJ McCarthy I think, is is one because we saw when J. What what did we say all year? They never asked JJ McCarthy to throw him to the wind. The first time they did, he was pretty awesome at it. That's right. Um, yeah, th- there's no question. Uh, here's another one that's kind of strange. Mm-hmm. Jaden Daniels, if he comes back? He could have some talent around him. He's going to have some talent around him, and he played a lot better in the second half of the year than the first half. Yeah. Oh, that's an I mean, interesting I, one. I, I, yeah. could, I could get behind. Because all it is is about getting momentum at the second half of the year. Exactly. So exactly. like and they're, he they're, kind of already did that this we year. We can be reasonably certain they're going to be a good team. Like Jaden Daniels had an okay year for what he's capable of physically, and he had LSU in the if they went out, they're in the playoff mode, like in week ten. Yeah. So like it it could, you know, lightning could strike twice. How about uh, how about Connor Wegman? Could be. I mean, if they if they're good, he's gonna get a lot of credit for that. Michael Penix Jr., does that count, or is he too much in, as a candidate had, this year? You know, I don't know if he was enough of a candidate this year to say that. I, I say go ahead. Throw him on there. Yeah. What about Chandler Morris? Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah. Didn't he beat out Duggan this year? He did. He started day one, and then Duggan took over. So Chandler Morris doing what Duggan did this year, absolutely. Oh, Trip Tepper, here's an interesting one. I <laughs> can't believe I'm saying this. Joe Milton. Well, <laughs> you never know. We know Joe Milton has the skill set to do it. And we know he's in an offense that's going to put up big numbers. But we, unfortunately for Joe, it's just when he's played, he's not been able to to be that accurate. It, if Joe Milton ever solves the accuracy thing, which I, I realize that's number one overall pick. Oh, he's he, could, he could be the reason why I lose my Heisman vote next year. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Marvin Harrison Jr., you have to say. Um, what about Quinson, Quinshawn Judkins? That's another good one. Ooh, yeah. I made a yeah. list. I like that. I and like. There, there's another I like one that I, a lot. that I have to say just because it would just has to be on brand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Drew Aller. Yes. 
Why know. not? Why not? If Penn State is really good and they have an offensive renaissance, he's going to get the credit for it. Yeah. I mean, Quinn Ewers. Quinn Ewers, absolutely. I can't just throw out Arch Arch Manning. <laughs> he and, certainly and not can't. put out Quinn there. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. I'm, I'm sure Caleb Williams will be back next year. Hopefully he will be, because that means you owe me a thousand bucks. Hopefully, uh, yeah, yeah, because we're starting I think to get into crunch time. You got a pretty good shot if he come, you know, if if he has a really good year and is is in the hunt for the Heisman again. Uh, Matthew Pate with an interesting one. Ty Simpson finalist. Write it down. I, I I'm glad Matthew brings this up because I wanted to pose this to you. I was talking on uh, the the SiriusXM SEC channel on Friday afternoon, and we had uh, Mike Rodak from AL.com on, and we were asking him. You know, who do you think, how do you think they're going to handle the the Will Anderson and Bryce Young situation? Are they going to play? And, and he said, no, I, I don't think they're, I don't think they're going to play. They haven't made an announcement yet, but they probably aren't going to play. And he pointed out that Nick Saban is probably going to say don't play because they are potentially top five picks. Yeah. And being a top five pick is more valuable to Alabama than playing in this Sugar Bowl against Kansas State. That's right. So... I'm going to ask you, Ari. We we saw Jalen Milrow up close and personal at that Alabama Texas A&M game. That was his, you know, he got the start, didn't didn't play particularly well. Ty Simpson is their their other quarterback right now. If Bryce Young winds up not playing, which it sounds like he may not, who who are you going to start? Are you going to try Ty Simpson and see if he might be your starter next year? All right, you or, have me on the show. Let me let me warm up going, my hot my hot take arm here. Okay, or are you going Milrow? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. So I am an idiot, and I bet on the New York Giants on Sunday. Oh, that's bad. They yeah. got smoked. They're getting seven and a by, half. By our guy Jalen Hurts. And I thought they had a pretty solid defense, divisional, whatever. I don't even want to tell you. My thought process is it was so inherently stupid. But as I was watching um, Jalen Hurts playing, I reminded myself what he looked like. When he was at Alabama. Yes. Super talented player. Mm-hmm. Wasn't a very good passer. Part of the reason why they took him out, right, is because what, he was a, I, I will point out, like, I remember I was at Jalen Hurts' first game. That was against USC and Jerry World. He was a better thrower of the ball then than when he left Alabama. So he he regressed as a passer. And then at, at Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley got him right. Which could was, be a Lincoln Riley is a quarterback genius to dovetail which, back on what we which were talking he is. about. Yeah. But the if you would have told somebody who watched or watches um Jalen Hurts Cook now in the NFL, what happened to him in Alabama and how he got benched and how he had to transfer. Could you imagine the thought process there? Of like this no is one gonna would be the most you. No one, one of the would most dramatic you transformations of any player I think I've ever seen. Yes. It it is because he's legitimately one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL now. And he makes it look easy. easy. So some of the stuff he was doing against the giants, like some of those QB powers, you're just like, Holy cow. They're barely touching him because they're so afraid of what he might do if he throws it. Yeah. Um, So the reason why I bring this up is, and you tell me if I'm crazy, you always, you're Mr. SEC, you know about this more. But in my brain, the Jaden Milrow, Jalen Milrow that we saw mm-hmm. in person and we saw a few times this year reminded me a little bit of what Jalen Hurts looked like when he reached the uncomfortable stages at Alabama. Correct. Super athletic, 
ton of potential, dealt kind of a tough hand. Mm-hmm. And he's is he's got a good arm. It's not like he can't. Good throw. arm. Yeah. Strong arm. Yep. That guy could be a starting quarterback in the NFL in, in four or five years if things progress the right way for him. If mm-hmm. he transfers to USC, for instance. I'm kidding. But like that, <laughs> to me, kidding. like, to They're going to need like, somebody in 24. And you know how I am, and everybody knows me on the show as start the five-star kid, right? Yeah. But like, I thought that I saw I mean, everybody at Alabama is very high Was, was Miller recruiter. a five-star? I don't know if he was a five-star. I don't think that he, he was a five-star. He was a four-star if he wasn't He was a, a high-end four-star. Yeah. But like, everybody always knows me as start the five-star that you haven't seen over what we know. Right. And a lot of times that's true. But this time, I think Milrow, with a good offseason, with some development and comfortable... Or, and there also may be a new offense, OC at Alabama next could year. Could be a dangerous stud. Right. So to me, I would put him on my list of somebody who can not only start next year. Um, so you say play him in the Sugar Bowl. I mean, I'd play both if you could. What do you have to lose? Yeah. Well, you don't have to lose anything other than a game and that no one gives a shit about. Yeah, people will fine. make fun of you for losing it, but right. Yeah. They're not gonna yeah. they're not gonna um, all right, I've got one more name that I have to that I have all to right, mention. Throw it out I think there, that throw this it out name Yep. It's kind of kind of heady. Okay. But okay. it's going to be a good segue to the last thing that we talk about on the podcast, which is oh. but um, oh, oh, I know exactly what name you're gonna give me. Go say it, say it for me. Shador Sanders. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> it, Love what it. if Colorado is just rocks ass next year? That's my new catchphrase, by I the mean, way. Listen. If you win eight games at Colorado next year, that's probably enough to vault Shadour into the con because people know how bad they were this year. Like, and I don't, I don't know how good the guy is to be honest. So he was we a don't. top three hundred player, yeah. and he did really well at Jackson State. Um, what is called? Doesn't Colorado open up with a big dog next TCU, year? TCU at yeah. TCU. So I think we're gonna find out very early in his career if he's got the goods or not. But what if he is just awesome? Oh my god, that would be. Incredible! Can you imagine the Heisman ceremony? Want to talk about the hype? This is a hype <laughs> award. Can you imagine the hype? Well, and and this, yeah, right. He's going to be at a place where they're generating more hype on their own than anybody else's. He's in the middle of the eye of the hype storm. Oh man! And well, his, his last name is Sanders. I mean, his brother's in charge of the hype, essentially. Oh yeah, you can just you know how much Heisman moments this. He's the only candidate in the race next year that can have Heisman moments in the locker room for everybody to see. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I hadn't thought about it that way, but you may be right. All right. Coach Prime. We knew this was going to happen eventually. It happened very quickly. Dylan Edwards, a four-star running back from Derby, Kansas, has flipped from Notre Dame to Colorado. We saw the photos on Twitter this weekend, yucking it up with Coach Prime. Ari, you uh, you wrote a story about this, and I'm glad you did because it it was this. there was a lot of backstory to this one that made it a little bit different than, than what we kind of expected. So tell everybody the story of, of Dylan yeah. Edwards and coach prime. So when I got Dylan Edwards uh, on the phone, I was like, this is going to be awesome. I cannot wait to hear like what, what Dion did. Right. Cause like our, all, all of our perceptions is uh, Dion Sanders is able to erase uh, months of recruiting from other schools by just being prime time. And, you know, he, he said the magic word or he was just his eccentric self and, he flipped a guy from Notre Dame in six days. And like, that's not what happened here at all. Like what happened here was like, he was his coach when he was like five in Dallas. Yeah. Um, and there was a family relationship there with Dylan Edwards to go. 
um, to Colorado. So it's kind of like he recruited him at Jackson State too. He did, yes, yeah. And by the way, what Dylan Edwards said, two things. I don't even know if I use this quote, but this is the Andy Staples show because you're here for the uh, exclusive. Oh yeah, Um, that he didn't want to go to an FCS school. He wanted to play in the Power Five, so that when Deion Sanders went to a Power Five, it automatically made Colorado a legitimate contender for his services because he wanted Power Five uh, schedule. Power five locker room, power five environment, which is probably 95% of the people in his position are going to write those. Tra- Travis Hunter, what he did is very unusual. Yes. So the fact that you just have the first person to come out and just say, yeah, well, Dion in the power five is different than Dion at Jackson State is a reminder now that this is why Dion said uh, during his introductory press conference that Colorado wasn't about the location. It was about the destination because he knew all he needed to do was get into a power five place and he could make it his own regardless of whether it was in Boulder or on Mars. Um, the second thing that I thought was interesting was that Edwards said that there are a bunch more players that are, are higher ranked than him that are going to be a part of this class too, which, again, drums up the hype machine. So this wasn't a Dion special where he called a kid cold turkey uh, out of nowhere, recruited him to Colorado and got him in six days, which would have been incredible, but that's not what happened. Um, but I'm wondering if Dion will be able to pull off recruitments like that uh, before this um so before the cycles, as, as we record this, it is the it is nine eighteen p.m. Eastern time on December eleventh. National Signing Day is about ten days away. How many top three hundred recruits do you think Coach Prime is going to have in his first Colorado in the in the early signing period at Colorado? So uh, ten days from now, yes. Four? Over under, I was gonna say over under five. So so probably under. I mean, if he gets eight top one hundred players or something in a week and a half, that would be remarkable. And I think that that's kind of what the promise is or the hope is for Colorado. But I don't know how realistic it is that he can erase other recruitments uh, just because he's Deion Sanders. So like, I know that he is a very persuasive man, um, and you know his track record of of what he's gonna do and the way that people kind of cling to what the words that he says are important. But if he is able to start flipping top 100 players away from Alabama and Clemson and Florida and all the, and like really starts hitting the big guys right mm-hmm. off the bat, that would, I think be ahead of schedule, even what I think he's capable of. Yeah. And uh, Catherine B with a, a very good point. The bigger goal for Dion has to be getting kids to push back their signing to February, which then gives him a chance yes, to really, of course work on them. That's a good point. Um, You know, and like to me, Whenever anybody gets hired in December, I don't really count the first class as as much anything. Right. Like, but if Deion Sanders signs the number 12 overall class next year, Colorado, which wouldn't make me turn my head for a big like I would that would be a disappointment for an Alabama. But if he does it at Colorado next year, that would be some real unbelievable recruiting. So, well, let's, let's put that in perspective. You're talking about for the 2024 class, if he could sign the number 12 class. Remember, USC and UCLA will be gone from the Pac-12 by that point. It's it it would be either number twelve would we be either one or two in the in the new Pac-12 because it's either yeah. be them or Oregon. Yeah, you know, and they're not winning a national title in the next two years, so it's going to be a building process. And I think the thing with with Dion is if he's able to sign a top five class next year, which I think is is possible then that speeds up the trajectory of the program. But the question then is if he's able to sign a top five class at Colorado, 
This isn't he's just a one-off with Travis he's get, Hunter. He's, but he's not going to be a Colorado yeah. very long, right? Yeah, he'll get poached. So, but, like, this is this is the thing that I think is very very interesting about this saga because, um, how quick he can turn around a program if he's able to turn around the worst Power Five program that's not in a fertile recruiting state quickly. Then what could he do at a Clemson or an Alabama or Ohio State or something like that? So yeah. I don't know if he's a social fit in some of these places, but I think you make. Well, him fit. I, I mean, we are very much putting the cart ahead of the horse because he's got to he's got to get it's these guys. I know, I, I know, I know. He's got to get these guys there. They got to coach him. We'll we'll see what happens. But but he's hired a pretty good staff too. Like the Sean Lewis hire was incredible. Oh, Sean Lewis, great hire, and Sean Lewis having been an FBS head coach the last few years, nice sounding board. For you, if you're Coach Prime. When's the last time a head coach that wasn't getting fired left to be an assistant? It's a good question. That doesn't, very hap- that doesn't now, happen Todd, very often. Todd Munkin, who is the current Georgia offensive coordinator, left the Southern Miss head coaching job to be the offensive coordinator of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but that's for an NFL assistant job. Uh, didn't, um, oh, there's a Mac coach. Didn't Danny, Dan Enos did it when he became Alabama's offensive coordinator. He left uh, Central Michigan. Yeah. And so, I think that like it's a savvy career move because sometimes in is out, right? Or sometimes uh, down is up. So, so I think I think if you are deciding what more. to do, it pays a lot more. And and I think that's the concern now in the MAC is they're realizing okay, you could be a Big Ten coordinator and make twice as much money, and probably have a better chance at getting a a, a Power Five head coaching job than if you were a MAC head coach. Also, being a Mac head coach is like the hardest thing to do in the world. So I, it's I don't very know. hard. I mean, and, and the thing is, you you still have to get kind of lucky there. You, you you know, if you have a few injuries, even if you have a good team, that's it. And and if you're not, if you don't leave exactly right when you're the hot coach, it may never come back. Right, right. And most of the Mac guys do bounce, but like, how many PJ Flex have there been? And then and the season that PJ Fleck ha- had the year that he bounced, they went undefeated, didn't they? Yes, Western Michigan. Uh, yes, so they did. you know how hard it is to, to create an undefeated roster in the MAC when all of the schools are very similar to one another. They're Dave, all in the Dave, same geographical footprint. They Dave, all Do- the same Dave Doran in Northern Illinois, same thing. Yeah. So, so you know it's hard, and I personally think that if Sean Lewis goes to Colorado and Shadour Sanders wins the Heisman, or they are in the top fifteen in total offense at Colorado. Like he's a more attractive oh, head coaching and candidate. Pe- people are also naturally not going to give Dion credit, so they will give Sean Lewis more well, credit, is- and and he will become a bigger head coaching candidate than he than he might have been had he gone to be the OC at some different Power Five school. This is an interesting thought that um, I'm happy you said that because I wanted to bring it up in my comments to the story that I wrote today, Andy. There was a lot of hate. And I don't know if that's the right word, haters. But there were a lot of people who said that they were looking forward to the House of Cards crumbling, that Dion's a fraud, that this is a joke. And I don't know, like, is Dion Sanders a heel or a protagonist? Well, that's completely up to the person watching him. Dion, Dion thinks he's the baby face. If we're using, but I'm saying, like, terms. how, like, if you like did a poll right now. Like, do you think people are rooting for him or rooting against him? I don't know if it's a matter of rooting for or rooting against. I think there are people who think that it is all style and no substance. And then there are people who think that he's on to something. I think if you listen to me, you know I'm one of the people who thinks he's on to something. I could be completely wrong, but I don't think I am. 
mm-hmm. I think he's going to wind up being a pretty good coach. I don't know, like, you're talking about, well, if they get the number 12 club, I don't know if it happens that fast. I don't know if they do it that like that. But I do know that he's going to get players there that thus far at Jackson State and now at, at Colorado, he's hired people who are very smart, who can help him along the way. Yeah. So, and, and like, like honestly, Steve, if Steven Larkin in the chat says, prime yeah. prepper was real bad. Yes, it was. Jackson State was real good. So, yeah. I mean, that's the more recent thing. Dion, if he is smart, will lead the program and be the face of it, but he won't put his hands in too many of the cookie jars. Go get the talent, be at the recruiting dinners, and trust the assistants that you hired to cook. Well, isn't isn't this exactly what we're talking about with Jimbo Fisher? Isn't yeah, that exactly what Texas A&M people want Jimbo Fisher to dial back to? Yeah. To be the guy who's the... The face of the program, the I guy think who being the, fa- the facade, is the lead recruiter, or the yeah. face facade is a negative connotation. The yeah. face of a program is eighty percent of the job. Yeah, and and being the CEO, like Dabo, is a great example. Dabo hasn't called a play; he was never a play caller. Also, call. Jimbo Urban, Fisher Urban isn't Meyer unique. was never a lead play caller for a team. Never once. I don't think that this Jimbo situation is that unique. It's not. It, most head coaches are like this. His I is extraordinarily we, bad. Yeah, yeah. But the the calls for CEO ish type roles for coaches and to get a gifted play caller on both sides of the ball are far common on on the message right. board geniuses than you think it is. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so uh, we haven't talked about Bobby Petrino being a candidate for that job. Yeah, unbelievable. He is, he is a candidate for that job, and I, I've been going back and forth on this. He he has the one quality that I keep saying because I kept hearing Garrett Riley and, and I wasn't sure that he that he would have this quality. The one quality whoever gets this job has to have is they have to be willing to tell Jimbo to go stick it somewhere. If Jimbo's like, no, I want to take back over, or why don't you? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? And Bobby Petrino, I guarantee you, does not give a crap what Jimbo Fisher thinks. Yeah, yeah, and. Well, you, you gotta maybe Jimbo Fisher has to hire somebody like this to get to stop him from being. It's like when you have a gambling account and you've had a bad week, you close the account because you got to be disciplined enough to know that you can't control yourself. Right. So he'll go hire somebody who um, he can't he can't roll right over him. Now the the thing with Bobby Petrino is personality wise, he he might not be the easiest to get along with. The the situation time second time around at Louisville, yes, he got uh, Lamar Jackson. Yes, that was awesome. Yes, they were good, but the last part of him at Louisville was awful, and they were not working very hard. But so, the number one quality that everybody can say about Petrino is that he's a gifted play caller and a good coach, very gifted play caller, and that's exactly very what they good need. offensive coach. So yes, you know, and that's a maybe this is a discussion for later in the week because we're getting to the end of it here. Well, we, but, we we may have that discussion. That's what I that that job probably gets filled sometime this week. So we can have a full discussion when it does get filled. But I did want to throw that out there because I thought it was interesting as you were talking about the 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 naysayers and the doubters of Deion Sanders who you're basically saying exactly the same thing you're saying of Jimbo Fisher, like, Hey, you got to dial back. You, you gotta, you gotta stay with what you're good at. And I think like Dabo is a great example of a guy who knows what he's good at and focuses on that. And there's nothing wrong with being good at getting good players on your team. Right? Exactly. Everybody In has fact, a role. It's maybe the most important role. It's not. Maybe it is. <laughs> yeah. So, 
You know what? That's what I do. That's my role in my house, Andy. I can't cook. Mm-hmm. I'm not a very good cook. Yep. But I run errands like a G. I'll go there to the grocery go. store. I got that's the right. list. I bring it in. Chef Britt's in there cooking up something special, but she could not do it without the ingredients that I bought. I picked out the avocados. There you I go. got the grapes. I washed the grapes. Nice. Can't make a baby's lunch without washed grapes. You sure can't. See, you know where you fit. You know what makes you great. Yeah, I don't you go in, into that. the kitchen while she's in there cooking. And you, and you dinner don't overreach. And salt her stuff. Like she's Although a great let's, cook. Let, let's be perfectly honest. I've been in your house. Britt's the head coach. Yeah. You're, the op, you're the ops guy. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> Thank you for giving me a job. I thought I was just like a um volunteer or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, you're absolutely the ops guy. No, yeah. no question about that. That's right. All right, everybody. This has been a fun, very newsy show. Again, say a little prayer, Mike Leach. Yeah. Hopefully hanging in there. Uh we don't know what's going on exactly, but thinking about him and his family. And we'll be back all week. Again, just because the season's over doesn't mean we stop. We're going to have as much fun on this show as we always do. So Ari and I will be back talking more shenanigans. We have our bowl preview later in the week. I haven't quite figured out how we're going to do it. We're going to do uh, something funny like the NCAA tournament. We'll come up with something. Oh, we'll we'll have we'll have a very fun bowl preview. That's going to be later this week. And we just uh, this is. This is the time of year when all kinds of crazy stuff happens. I'm sure the Portal Authority, Max Olson, is going to pay us a visit at some point. And we we will have a lot to talk about. And signing day in, in nine days, as we're listening. All right, we got bowls in, in six days. Let's go. We're not, we're not messing around. This, this never ends. It never ends. We'll talk to you later.